nearbound marketing works, whether it's from pipeline generation or brand recognition, there is a positive effect and people are hungry for it as well. They want to know more about it. It's more aligned to how the buyer goes through this journey versus a more traditional marketing funnel or a sales process. So it much more focuses on when do they become pain aware? When do they become ready to engage in considering a solution and so on and so forth. Howdy partners, and welcome to the Howdy Partners podcast, where we give you tactical insights so that you can do your role better. You are so much more professional than I am. Incredible (laughs) intro. Uh, I thought it's required, but (laughs) (laughs) oh, I didn't get the memo. (laughs) Um, This is a kind of a kind of like a year end. Um, Both of us thought. Hey, let's do an episode that we can do a crossover in the Nearbound Podcast and the Howdy Partners Podcast to kind of wrap up the year 2023 and reflect a little bit. Um, both of us had uh, this time of year uh, getting guests and things is always a, a bit of a challenge. And so I, I reached out to Will and said, hey, let's do this together. Uh, Jared's out of town. We had, a, we had a guest cancel. And I thought this would be a really fun way to kind of for both of these podcast feeds to, um, to reflect a little bit on the year a ton ton has happened in the world of partnerships in 2023. Uh, it's, it's almost crazy, Will, to think what like a year ago, January of, of this year, where we were and what was going on. Like <laughs> we were partner hacker, hadn't, hadn't yet merged with Reveal. And then just in the world in general, like the economy had definitely started to tighten up already and companies were kind of, you know, trying to get lean and get tight and the sort of the, the zero interest rate days were over. Um, Seems scary. Yeah. It was kind of like, what's going on? No one's really sure. Um, and and I, I don't know. Well, I guess I won't, I won't just keep, uh, you know, pontificating about that. Let's jump in because I kind of thought a fun framework would be what are the takeaways? What are your top takeaways from 2023? Like when you look back at the year, what are the main things you learned? I've got a couple and I know you've got a couple. Let's start with you. Do do we want to do like I do one, you do one or? Um, maybe, but I kind of, some of yours, I kind of liked even. Yeah, no, we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll go back and forth. So yeah. you go first. Okay. So this one I'm I'm very excited about because I've been personally working on it and executing on it and building models around it. And that is that nearbound marketing works, whether it's from pipeline generation or brand recognition, there is a positive effect and people are hungry for it as well. They want to know more about it. I've been mapping the buyer's journey to marketing programs with partners. And I talked about that on the previous episode of the Howdy Partners podcast. And I've been talking about it in conversations. Whenever I bring up the model that I've built, um, that I've standardized, and uh, there's no confidential information, don't worry, Isaac. Um, and people are like, I want that. They're, they say immediately, makes sense. It adds clarity to the process. And as a partner person, I can clearly identify where I can include partners and how it's going to benefit the business. And This so, is the bow tie, correct? This is the bow tie, yep. You're such a dandy, you know? A, a, a foppish dandy. 
Does the mustache <laughs> go well with those uh, words Will, you just used? Will and I have this little thing where I use obscure words and then he stares at me angrily. <laughs> it's kind of, it's our special thing. So, um, <laughs> well, you're not wearing a bow tie, but walk, walk me through what is the bow tie, uh, customer journey? What, what, what is the, what's the framework in the model? And I guess people are listening. So you just have to describe yep. the visual. Yeah. So, uh, I definitely didn't create the original, uh, version of the bow tie journey. I th- heard it on, uh, I believe it was Sam Jacobs talked about it at the Nearbound summit and it immediately sparked ideas in my mind where I thought about, okay, bow tie model makes sense for a business to think about how the buyer moves through the different stages, which I'll talk about in just a moment. But then for me, I'm always thinking partnerships and nearbound. How can I layer partners over top of this and give myself clarity to understand, you know, where best partners can fit into the buyer's journey? So the bow tie buyer's journey is essentially, uh, it looks like a bow tie. It's two funnels, uh, joining at the, the end point where on the left side, you have awareness, which is your typical top of funnel from a marketing perspective, brand awareness. And then it gets into nurturing them, converting them, uh, selling to them. They make a purchase, which is the smallest point, the middle of the bow tie. And then on the other side, you have onboarding, then ROI realization, and then they become an advocate, and then they become a brand ambassador. So uh, the more success they see from the tool after purchasing, the more likely they are to talk about it. And so it then extends to the right side of the bow tie where it will increase reach because they're going to be more likely to organically bring it up in conversations or maybe they're on stage and they talk about it. So that's the bow tie model in a nutshell and it's uh, more aligned to how the buyer goes through um, this journey versus again, a more traditional marketing funnel or a sales process. So it much more focuses on, you know, when do they become pain aware? Uh, when do they become ready to engage in uh, considering a solution and so on and so forth? Have have we published a piece of content with this on nearbound.com yet, Will? Uh, just the Howdy Partners podcast episode. I've written a social post about it. I am getting a graphic made for it. So I'm kind of doing this in the background. So don't We worry. should do like a full blown um, and not not like a, hey, here's how to do it. But how it's actually worked for us because you have been working increasingly closely with my team at Reveal, the market team, and you're the partnerships person. And it's been really cool to figure out not just how to do these plays. Cause like, that's almost, that's almost the fun sort of hacky part. It's like, how do you go out and like find the people that surround your buyer and figure out ways to do stuff with them, but how to actually it's like, pay attention to what you're doing and really how to track it, which is still a work in progress, but to be able to see whether or not it's working, what's working. And it'd be really cool to see, um, you know, how we, whatever, whatever a good clickbaity title is, how we leverage the bow tie model. Uh, you know, how we put a bow tie on our partner marketing. I don't know. Right. Something, something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but to kind of break down, you know, with the visuals and everything, I think it'd be a really cool, um, thing that we could spin out of, of these conversations. And I've really enjoyed like learning out loud and putting this together with you. I remember it was probably back what, maybe like quarter two of last year when we kind of, you and me and Jared were kind of chatting like, Hey, look, we, we gotta, we gotta figure this thing out ourselves. Like, what does it really look like to do nearbound marketing? Um, let's go out there and look at all the different types of people that surround buyers that we can partner with. So yes, our tech partners for sure, 
But then what about other influencers? What about communities? What about like you know, media brands? What about companies that maybe you don't even have a tech partnership with? And what to do with that, like how to figure out who to do it with, what to do with them, how to run it, how to track it. And we've like you've really been building this as we've been going along. It's been really cool to see. Cause to your point, like it 100 percent works. Like I don't need to see anything else to know that it works. The 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 challenge, well, I guess I'll let you finish because this is a good segue to my to my takeaway number one from 2023. But I'll let you finish on the uh yeah, on the, the, the- only other point that I, I wanted to mention was, so I explained the uh, already existing bow tie model, which again, I, d- I won't take credit for, really good way to think about um, how buyers move through engaging with your business. But what I added in as a layer was the partner categories that fit best for each stage. So for example, maybe a media partner or a community partner is best for building awareness. And then as you get closer to the uh, purchase, maybe it's a consultant or post-purchase, maybe it's an agency to help them onboard. And so really mapping the type of partner across each stage in the bow tie journey. And then you can, of course, slot in an example of that partner for yourself. And then what I also did was layer in the KPI that could be most important, and then the program or activity that you could run with that partner so that when you are executing, you know what kind of partner to include, you know what KPI is important in that activity, and that'll help you deliver success to them and, of course, realize success on your side. Uh, and then what I also did, which I won't get too in the weeds of, but basically I created a menu of what the marketing team will typically do. Uh, and that could be from the marketing calendar, the, the content calendar. And you can then start mapping activities to KPIs and what is the sales CTA for that activity probably really good for your own sales and marketing alignment. Um, But again, you're layering in partners so that if I'm a partner manager and I want to include partners, I know exactly where, I know what KPI I'm looking at, and I know how that is going to affect the bottom line and how sales is going to engage with it thereafter. So um, yes, we will create content around it and uh, I'll give you the specifics and the the sheet that I, I have as well. I really love I really love the way that you mapped it out across the buyer journey because it's such a good like reminder for partner people that their job layers across the entire journey, the entire life cycle. And that and at each different stage they're going to have to probably work with different departments, right? I mean like yes, marketing also layers across the life cycle. Yes, there's some of that, but you know, I could imagine having a story to tell about a particular account, let's say, where you can say, "Hey, look, we got this account in our, you know, in our universe, in our top of funnel through a partner. Maybe it was a, an influencer that, you know, introduced us or mentioned us in a webinar because we were doing something with them and then they came and signed up. And then once they signed up and onboarded, we got a demo call booked with them because another partner ran an influence play." And maybe that's, you know, whatever, uh, one of our advisors or former employee or something like that. Then we worked with a tech partner who has them as a customer already to close the deal by getting some intel along the way with our sales team. And now on the success side, we're working with an agency partner we've connected them with to help them get implemented and set up. And you could literally like show the entire journey, the customer journey, and show like four different partners and which which step they played, which role they played along that journey. 
And you don't need too many of those stories to make the point to say, look, this is how this universe works. This is the ideal world. Of course, it's always messier than that and harder to plot. But I really, I really like that you're thinking multi-partner type and you're thinking across every stage in the journey. Now, of course, managing that on lots and lots of accounts with lots and lots of partners, it gets more complicated, but I think that's a really great framework. I love it. So you like it. We can talk about my raise later. And now let's talk about one of your lessons <laughs> for 2023. Oh, you want to talk about a raise? <laughs> Suddenly, I don't know how to track partner influence. Sorry. <laughs> um, so... So if your takeaway number one was that marketing with partners works, that nearbound marketing works, I completely agree. And I have a related takeaway that's been interesting. My number one takeaway from 2023 is that running nearbound plays has to be driven by partner people. Now, that may not sound like a crazy revelation, uh, and it's not really, but we spent a lot of effort in 2023 really trying to talk to, you know, through Partner Hacker and, and Reveal uh, as well, primarily have a lot of partnership pros in our audience, in our, in our universe. And we really want to say, look, we've got to get the other teams on board with Nearbound in order for this to work. And that is 100% true. Like if partner people love it, but no one else gives a shit, sales team doesn't care. They don't want to do any selling with partners. You know, marketing team doesn't want to do any Nearbound stuff. CS team doesn't care you're going to have a really hard time. So like speaking to those audiences, and of course, you know, the Nearbound Summit is structured that way. We have a day about sales, a day about marketing, and, and really trying to get that persona, get the leaders from those departments to come in. Um, and we focused a lot on sales in 2023. We came out with the sales blueprint. We did a lot of stuff with uh, some people in the sales world, uh, Scott Lease being one of the, the, the more prominent ones. Um, I think we learned some really interesting things. We definitely made progress there. A lot of people are now looking to and talking about selling through their network, selling with pe around the people that surround buyers. Salespeople are listening. Marketing people are listening. But here's where there's a disconnect. They're listening, but then they either don't know what to do at all, or they only think of Nearbound in terms of like their personal network. If they're a salesperson, like, okay, I'll, then I'll go look at my personal LinkedIn network and I'll just try to like, and, and that's part of it, right? Or marketing people, okay, I'll go work with an influencer and we'll do like a, you know, like a sponsorship of some like podcast or something. That's part of it. That is tapping into people your buyers trust, but they'll completely overlook the partnerships their company already has because they don't know what to do with that. They need, that needs to be initiated. They will need to be a part of implementing these plays if you're going to do co-marketing with a with a tech partner, your marketing team is going to be a part of that. If you're going to get your sales team to be tapping into tech partners for Intel Intro's influence, they're obviously going to be a part of that. But it needs to be initiated and and like initiated and managed by the partner person and they have to do it in a way that like meets those other departments where they are. So here here's what's happened sometimes. You'll get a partner person who's like yeah, Nearbound is the future. It's going to save my company. I'm really important because I'm the partner person and Nearbound is needed because inbound and outbound are suffering. You might even have their sales and marketing leaders say, yeah, I'm all about Nearbound. We definitely need some help. We definitely need to, to reach people that buyers trust. And then nothing happens because the sales and marketing leaders don't know what the next step is. That's where that partner person, they've got to proactively not come and say, hey, here's how you should do your job, but come and say, let's take sales, for example. Instead of saying, you need to redo your whole sales process to, to run the three eyes of Nearbound, 
just go start paying attention to the deals that are stuck and that are not moving and say, can I bring partner influence on these deals? And then I can't think of a VP of sales in the world. If you say, hey, you know that deal that's stuck, that seems like it's dead in the water? I might be able to help get that thing going again with a partner. They're going to get excited about that, right? Because you're you're making it bite size. You're bringing it to them and like, you don't, have to, you don't have to sell them on this huge vision of let's do nearbound. You just have to bring them some immediate wins. Marketing team, like, hey, I know we're focusing on these target accounts. I mapped those with our partners and we got overlap with half of those with this one tech partner over here who's a great fit for us. Here are three things that I talked with them about that they might be interested in doing this quarter and we could split the cost on an event. Would you be interested? And now you've queued it up. You've made it easy. And then saying like, I'll manage the relationship with them do you know are we interested in running these activities but just recognizing like you've got to be the initiator the partner person has to be the initiator and the one that's continually running and not not in terms of telling other departments what they should be doing better but helping them get more success with what they're already doing i think that's been a, a really big takeaway yeah the the word that i keep using and uh it's been used in the past but like truly an orchestrator like you are the conductor and uh, maybe it's a, a step further because you're not just, you know, on the the stool in front of everybody else saying, do this and do that. Um, you are doing that to an extent. But um, the other piece that I've found from all of my conversations, I would say basically every single one of them, templates and direct questions and direct actions, yes, no no, like, how do you feel about this? Which I have an example I'll quickly go through, but like the actual enablement of click this, do that, copy, paste this. Like, of course we have the nearbound sales blueprint that really helps out with that. That is what drives action. And the story I have is I was working with a partner and they, uh, they came to me and they said, um, uh, I'm having trouble with CSMs. And I said, okay, interesting. Tell me how you asked the question to the CSM. And they said, um, would you feel comfortable about doing X, Y, Z? And that's very gray area. Do I feel comfortable doing that? Well, I don't know. That's an emotion. Like <laughs> today I feel comfortable. Tomorrow I might not feel comfortable. And so it's, it is a yes, no question, but it's not a, can you do this? Can you send this email that I already typed out for you? Things like that really changed the game because what this person then did is they tested it over two weeks and then they said, oh my gosh, that worked so well. They immediately took action because yes, they can copy and paste an email to the person that I'm trying to reach um, versus how do you feel about this? Are you comfortable? It's you know polite to ask that, but it's not direct and it's not action oriented. Um, so it immediately becomes a bigger task in that person's mind. And so yes. the orchestration, the being the conductor, is yes, beyond that stool in front of everybody, but also give them no reason to say no because it should seem so simple. And the way you do that, in my opinion, is things like templates and directness and clarity on why are they actually doing this and what is the specific ask? Uh, not 100%. You know, there's such a huge difference in, you know, if you get an email, like as a marketing person, I'll get an email, you know, let's, let's say this is hypothetical because you would never do this to me, Will. Let's say I get an email from you and you're forwarding something from a partner and it's like something that they're working on and they've proposed we work on it together. And the email says, you know, hey, this partner, similar ICP, they want to do all these initiatives. 
we could maybe do some blog posts with them or maybe some podcasts. They also mentioned that they have an event next week. If maybe we wanted to send someone, they mentioned they also thought it'd be interesting to explore an integration because they're not really sure if that's going to work. And maybe we could do some joint go to market there. We do have some shared co customers that already overlap. Maybe we could work on influencing those deals. What do you think? And I'm like, what the, what do I don't know? That's like 50 million things to think about versus something like, you know, Hey, here's this partner. I noticed that they were doing this thing that's similar to this thing we're doing. Here's an email I drafted that says, Hey, we're running this event. Looks like you're doing something similar. Would you be interested in joining our event and we can join your event and we'll do them together and do like a swap? Yes or no. That's a very like, here, Isaac, I drafted. Are you okay if I send this email? And if they say yes, I can intro them to you. That's very concrete. It's like, same with a salesperson. You know, those, those three eyes of Nearbound, it's not just like, hey, salesperson, read this guide and start running it. You can actually do it for them. You can come to them and say, hey, I noticed this deal has had no movement for the last two weeks. Here's what I know about this partner. Here's an email I drafted that either I can send to them or you can send to them that says, here's, we're working on this deal, blah, blah, blah. Would you like me to do that? And then it's like, as a salesperson, it's like an easy, either yes or no, like oh, either no, you don't have enough context. That would not be appropriate or heck yes. Click send. That's so much better than, Hey guys, are we involving partners in our deals? You know what I mean? Yep. Perfect. This is wonderful for the Howdy Partners podcast. We're getting nice and tactical. Um, but yes, the, uh, the partner person you need to orchestrate. That's again, this racking around in my mind is orchestrate and make it easy for, you know, the guitar player to play the chord that they're supposed to. I have a guitar on the wall behind me. You know, that's what B2B people, I, I'm, I'm like torn. I should really turn my camera because a good B2B person needs to have a guitar behind them so that it Horrible subtly show. signals to people that like I'm sensitive and artsy and, and a, you know, well-rounded person. Um, so, or in your case, a, a glowing crystal skull. That's right. I guess. What yeah. is that signaling? Do you think? Um, I don't know. I have no thoughts <laughs> other than that's interesting. This is different. <laughs> I didn't know it was like a finely crafted, deliberate, like I want to make sure when people see me on video, they associate me with, it kind of looks like the meme with like the brain that gets like brighter and brighter. You know what I'm talking oh, yeah. about? Yep. Yeah. That's, so that's maybe fun. the more intelligent the points that you make, the brighter that glowing skull behind ah, you gets. Smart. I'm gonna, I need to get a remote so I can control it. And then I get to determine whether you're making a good point. Perfect. I would love that'd that. Be a fun, that'd be a fun game. Yeah, okay. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, you know what? The people are here for the witty banter, Will. Let's be honest. You of and course. I, you got a good rapport. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Number two takeaway from 2023 for you, Mr. Taylor. I would say that companies are still investing in partnerships. Uh, although we did see, you know, layoffs and whatnot, which definitely unfortunate. And those companies would be more so the, the naysayers on the partnership strategy, uh, being important to that company. Uh, but in a majority of the conversations, if not all the conversations that I've had with founders or CEOs, they are saying this outbound thing is tough. Inbound is tough. What's this nearbound thing? How can I do it? I literally talked to a CEO today who said, I'm trying to grow my business efficiently and I want to show to my board that we are growing and at a profitable rate uh, or rather an appealing rate to, to the board. And so they said, 
Nearbound sounds like it is it. And so tell me more about it. And so not only are companies wanting to invest in this kind of strategy, uh, but they are. And the good companies, I would say, are continuing to do this. Um, now, this isn't just validated from you know me and Isaac because we're the the nearbound folks. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't even know if I agree with this one. I think you have to convince me. I'm not sure because <laughs> I'm hearing both things. But go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's it's definitely like when I think of who are the companies performing well today, I don't immediately think they're doing outbound and inbound. Um, mm. I I think and I see examples that they are leveraging partners and they are tapping into the ecosystem. Um, and again, it's not just me or our team or these founders and CEOs that I talk to. Um, the An example is from the in-revenue capital team at the Nearbound Summit. They were talking about how this is efficient growth as well and what they are advising companies to pay attention to. And th the advice that I give to CEOs and founders is you still need to do the outbound and the inbound. And you also need to do it until you have product market fit. And then you can start thinking about nearbound. It shouldn't be, you know, one third right at the start. It should be something that you continue to nurture over time to get to that one third because you do need that product market fit. But um, one of the lessons I had was companies are still investing in, in partnerships because I had some worries that companies would stop investing in partnerships and it would be a short term mentality with this lack of capital available for uh, these businesses and also the other efforts struggling, which it has been for some companies. And maybe it's like a 50-50 split. I'm not sure the exact you know ratio of companies doing this, but I've seen more companies than I would have expected this year to think about partnerships, ask about partnerships, and start doing more of partnerships um, as well. So my lesson was companies are still doing it despite mm. you know us seeing layoffs and whatnot. I would venture to say that the the layoffs and like the negative news probably gets more attention than those who are doing it right and maybe even doing it and are not formally knowing that they're doing it uh, in that regard. So yeah, that's my lesson. Yeah. What are your thoughts? It's interesting. Uh, you said, you know, you, you sort of tell people, look, you know, start out outbound inbound and then sort of introduce nearbound. I think that's, that's largely been true. I'm kind of wondering I'm I'm pretty radical. So, uh especially if you're starting a company very early stage, like what if from day 1 you're like my entire go to market, my entire distribution strategy is indirect. And like if you if you gave yourself that as a challenge and said I'm going to spend the weekend thinking about, you know, imagining you're at the very early you haven't launched a product yet or whatever. What would my go to market look like if from day 1 it was primarily if if I'm using outbound and inbound to supplement and aid nearbound, but nearbound is number one. I actually think that's a very interesting, potentially powerful cheat code for new companies coming on the scene. But I would agree. <clears throat> I would focus on, and this is actually what I said to the person I spoke to today. I would say, I said, uh, there are, and this is, hasn't been formalized, but like I talked about how there's kind of like three sections of nearbound as this one third. So three sections of the one third. Uh, one is the actual like referral motion, co-sell motion. It's much more strategic and hands-on, requires effort, but very high value, good joint value as well for uh, clients. The other part is the nearbound marketing where it's um, more influence focused. You're trying to get gain as much reach as possible. 
and then it's also the third piece is focusing on your customer network where, you know, if you make advocates there, then they can become brand ambassadors and then they will, you know, do the selling for you, so to speak. Um, and so from there, I, I started to think about like, if I started a company today, what would I be doing? And I would probably focus on that customer piece because that's going to give you so much insight into the product market fit that you could have. Um, because what I was, the guidance I gave was you should probably reach 60 to 70% of product market fit, really know where, which direction you're heading in, then start doing this external near bound with these partners, mm -hmm. because you'll at least be able to identify, great, we're headed in this direction. So these partners are ideal partners to work with or communities, clusters in the ecosystem. Um, and to get the most robust information, it would be through customers. And I would say that setting up some level of customer referral program or um, like, I don't want to say partnering with your customers because it might not be exactly a partnership, but getting close to the, the customers and really understanding their world, I think that would be in my opinion, the best way to capitalize on trust, not do as much selling as you might need to do with outbound and inbound, and um, maybe just have, I guess, less aggressive growth goals because you wouldn't have as much control over what the customers do. But yeah, I, I agree with you that it could be interesting to tap into it Yeah, to from the start. <clears throat> To, you, we might see models just being more and more upfront about just recognizing that like efficient distribution if you don't, if, if you have a partnership from day one, that's like, Hey, we can already reach a bunch of people through this partnership. Um, that's really, really attractive. Uh, okay. So my takeaway number two, so yours was people are still investing in partnerships. Mm -hmm. I'm going to riff on that a little bit. Here's my takeaway. Number two, just because your company is not investing in you doesn't mean that they don't want to, or won't invest in nearbound. Here's what I mean by that. Because a lot of people are like, well, my company just laid off half the partnership team or my company will not give me any more resources. So like, yeah, you guys are over here. You're the, you're the hype men, you know? Yeah. Nearbound. It's everywhere. Everybody loves it. Everybody's investing in it. And they're like, but I'm not seeing that reality. Both of those things can be true at once. So here's what's always true. If you show any business leader that they can spend $1 to make $2, they will do it. If you can show them and prove to them, it doesn't matter if it's in your marketing budget, if it's in your sales, but it doesn't matter. Hey, look, when we spend this amount, this is what we get in return. And it's, this is a, you know, um, a winning proposition. So if you start from like me, my existing partnerships role and department and budget, I'm not getting anybody saying, I want to throw a bunch more money in it. Like that's probably true. But if you zoom out and say, do, does your company think they're going to get more bang for the buck the more they spend on outbound? Almost nobody is saying yes to that. It's like the returns are diminishing. They can spend more to get more, but it's kind of like the, the more that they get keeps getting less. Do they feel it's going to get more through sort of traditional inbound stuff? Probably not quite as bad as outbound, but you're probably not going to get anyone saying, yeah, what we're going to do is just keep spending more on these, what we've been doing and uh, it's going to work better. So that's accepted, right? I always say people are problem aware, solution wary. Then that next step is where this gap comes in. If the partner person's like, see, inbound and outbound aren't going to get us there. Give me more money. It's like, well, I don't know. What the hell have you done? 
for the last couple of years. I'm not sure. I don't know if I should give you more money. I don't have the proof. But if you start from like a further, like first principle standpoint and say, if we're not going to get it without bound and inbound, we got to get it somehow. Here's the proof that you've, we've got to do it through people our buyers trust, which includes more than just the traditional partner plays that you've been running, but it's, it involves surrounding that buyer at every step, exactly the model you laid out, sort of the bow tie model. And then here's what I'm going to do in quarter one to see how we can influence this stage of the funnel by partnering with these kind of partners, this stage by this, this stage by this. Here are the goals that I want to achieve this quarter. Here's how I want to prove that we can supplement what we're losing in inbound and outbound with nearbound. And it's concrete. And it's not just like give more money to partnerships. I think that's where you will see people win it because CEOs, they're, they're listening. They're looking for solutions. They're not looking in an environment where your company is struggling. It's harder to sell. It's, the numbers are harder to hit. Having a department head come to you and say, well, my department who's been here the whole time, uh, we're the key to winning. So just give us more money. Right? Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna buy it. It's like, why? I gave you money last time. Like, what is that gonna do? But staying, here's what we know is true. Here's this new thing I'm going to do. Here's the way I'm approaching this. Like, not just give me money, but here's specific plays that I'm gonna run. Here's a bounded time frame through which I'm gonna try to prove that we can get more returns on this. And even being upfront about look, some of these things are very imperfect with tracking, but here's what we're gonna do as the best proxy. Right? Like you don't have to pretend that you can track everything. You don't have to try to get into all those fights. But if you just kind of present that case and like, hey, give me a shot. Give me three months. Give me six months to move the needle. Let me just pick the deals that are stuck and see if I can get one of them this month to move through a partner. And then that will kind of validate the model. I think that's where you can have, even in a down market where people are like, just in general, right? Because like, potential general things like partnerships. Are people investing more in partnerships? The answer may be no. Are people investing more in things that work? The answer is always yes. So if you can be something that works, you will get a yes, no matter what the macro economy is doing. It's not about the macro economy. It's about you in your current role at your current company. I love it. Um, that is the sentiment from those conversations where it's like, this seems like it's working. The data suggests that it is more efficient. And that's why these CEOs and founders that I've talked to are, you know, raising their hand and their ears are, are perking up. Um, not because they go, I know everything about partnerships. I believe in it and I'm ready to do it and invest in it. It's this seems like it's working. It's this, you know, different motion or this additive motion and it seems more efficient. Uh, that's what they care about. They don't necessarily use the word partner. Uh, they do use the word nearbound because in general, it makes uh, a bit more sense for, for comparing it to outbound and inbound. And it's interesting. You mentioned the, um, the phrasing of, Hey, I'm this department and we are the key to your success. Give me money. Uh, I, I also had a conversation today about someone who is really good at building, uh, business cases for not only starting a partnership, but also buying tech. And so he said, what he does is he goes to each department and he says, what's your key initiative for, you know, this quarter or this year? And they say X, Y, Z. And we got this program to hit that KPI. He says, okay, well, this partnership or this piece of technology will help you with this piece of the pie in what you're doing. And they go, great. Can't wait to, to see that. And then he'll go to each department 
get the same result of, hey, we can help you with this initiative that you're focused on, this tech or this partnership helps with that. So we're going to help you with that. They go, of course, great. You're just going to help me and I just got to keep on, keep it on. Great. And then he goes to the uh, executive team and he says, listen, our team is doing this, this, and this. We help with this KPI, this KPI, this KPI. And so this is the partnership or this is the technology that is going to enable that. Um, and then of course he can roll it up to forecasting numbers and the cost of, let's say a tool is minor compared to the benefit that it could have, even if it's, you know, a 2% increase on everything, depending on the company size that could be massive. And so, um, yeah, showing it's like showing the work. And I think that actually leads into my third point, which we didn't plan out the, how well this is going to flow, but that's just how it works between Isaac and I, it's just although, magic. It's magic, yeah. Will. although you don't have a mustache, so we're not like completely aligned, <laughs> maybe eventually, and then we'll level up even further. Um, but my third learning for 2023 is that ops data and tactical execution is what is moving the needle, which might be obvious where it's like people actually doing the work. Um, but the reason that I, I think it's important to call this out is one, the community has been talking more about partner ops. And there are some people on the fence on how important it is, but I would say the ability to show impact and provide an update to, let's say, the CEO of this impact is truly what's moving the needle. That's what's going to get you resources. That's what's going to get you top-down buy-in and then buy-in, of course, from the other department heads. And then, of course, you're going to be able to better execute because you have more resources and more buy-in and everything is much more efficient. So ops, data, and tactical execution uh, is truly moving the meat, the needle. And uh, the other reason I think it's important to call this part out is because there used to be a lot of hype around partnerships. And I mean, I played into the the hype, we played into the, the hype as well. Um, but those who only played into the hype and focused on the, the feel good, um, they were likely impacted by rounds of layoffs, some people, of course, were affected uh, wrongfully and you know the company probably made a bad decision. But at the end of the day, if you are showing value to the business and you're putting up numbers, then they're going to they're going to keep you on. They're going to continue to give you resources and uh, some cases, you know, unless the business is um, I don't have a, a good word for it, but unless the business does not operate well uh, and then they just decide see you later partnerships, they'll probably make the decision based on the data. And so um, there are more models coming out that help with attribution, with making sure you're taking the right tactical steps. And of course, we're doing as much as we can for that. Um, and you know, shameless plug of the Howdy Partners podcast, we're all about the tactics and how to execute. But things like the Nearbound Sales Blueprint, like I've been implementing that myself and it's all because of the tactical resources that are now out there. And that's what people care about. They want to see how the plane can land. And so a trend over the last year is I I get the hype. I'm on board with the hype, but now I need to execute because the team is saying, where's the data? What are the ops associated with this? What are we actually doing? And so anyone who has actual process documented is, in my opinion, going to be the winner and also who people turn their heads to when they need help. That's that's probably a great prediction for 2024 as well, that <clears throat> sort of the next stage in getting nearbound implemented starts at that data layer. 
So there's kind of this interesting, you know, our, our motto is trust is the new data, which is very kind of at the high level, right? Like people are overwhelmed and they're looking to people they trust. I think from a, from a business standpoint, that doesn't mean that you don't absolutely need data. In fact, what you need is data about who your buyers trust that you can feed into all of your processes and the other data you're using that can drive the way you're running your activities. So right now, I don't see a lot of RevOps types, a lot of data nerds on the revenue teams recognizing the value of partner data and how that can help direct activity. So, you know, for example, if you're looking at prioritizing accounts, prioritizing which accounts your reps work on, you're probably going to pull in some intent data, some some revenue intelligence type stuff from a Sixth Sense or whoever it might be, um, whether it's for your outbound stuff or for your target accounts that you're doing stuff with. And there's another layer of data, like which ones of these accounts are customers of one of our partners. And I think partner people are playing around with and using that kind of data, but it's not really making its way into the stack. It's not really integrating or even just looking at, hey, even if we're not going to actively co-sell, people who have who are also customers of these two companies that are partners of ours, when they are customers of those two companies, we close them at X percent higher rate. And maybe it helps you realize you can recognize trends. Hey, maybe there's a time thing. If they become a customer of this type of company at this stage, usually within three months, they're looking for a solution like ours. There's like a a time trigger that like they become a customer of this partner, we're probably next in line two to three months down the road. And like a lot of different ways you can use this data to like feed into a lot of the revenue intelligence, account assignments, and all these things that are already happening. And that people are using first party data and third party data and very little second party data. And partner teams are the ones that are sitting on this. And I think the next step is probably going to involve them really getting a good relationship with those RevOps teams and convincing them, hey, look, this is really valuable data. We already have it. It's already in our network. And there's a lot of things we can do with it. So uh, I love that. I love that um, that point. Okay. I guess I have one more I got to do, don't I? Uh, That's right. I'll bring it home. So, oh boy, there's a whole bunch I could go with. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one that's a little bit of a different topic. Um, third, third takeaway from 2023 is that I think... I'm going to say like social networking broadly, but specifically LinkedIn. There's two interesting things that I see there. One, I think it's still dramatically undervalued in B2B. The people who understand that, let's just use LinkedIn for now. But when I'm saying LinkedIn, it also includes some other sort of social networky type things. Maybe it's some, you know, community Slack groups or... For some people, it might be Twitter or other platforms too, but um, but LinkedIn in particular, people who are super cons- consistent and active on there in like value add ways. I, I always think of Pete Caputo. I think he's like the absolute like farthest end of the spectrum in terms of just absolute baller on LinkedIn in terms of quality and quantity and relevance to his audience. Now, not everyone's going to be that way, and I think everyone has to as a CEO, especially, but. There's so much value there. The demand creation, Chris Walker talks about all this time, talks about this all the time. Even though more and more people are doing it, it's not saturated yet. There's just a lot like being in the discourse, in the stream, in the feed among your target audience. When your target demographic, they get on LinkedIn frequently. 
pretty much everybody in B2B, somebody at the companies you're going after is on LinkedIn probably every day. Certainly many of the people are at least a couple of times a week. If you are coming up in their feed consistently, the value of that is so, so massive. And then the little triggers and signals of, oh, someone I trust liked this. Oh, someone I trust commented on this, right? These are, these are the reasons that some of these nearbound social plays and things like that work. I think the value is still underestimated by a lot of people, mostly because it can't be measured. But here's the flip side. It's also, it's also kind of fragile because there's this weird paradox that like, once people start recognizing the value more, it very quickly gets formulaic and then it's, it, then it stops working. So you see, oh, wow, that really does work. Well, let me see who's doing it well. Okay. These five people are doing it well. Okay. Let's copy them. And then everybody starts copying them. And then all of a sudden LinkedIn is flooded to the point where you kind of like, wait a minute, everybody's trying to, you know, create demand by running these plays. And it like, it, 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 di- it dries up. Or LinkedIn changes their algorithm and they say, we're not going to show anybody anything anymore unless you pay to boost it, right? Which is kind of what Facebook did back in the day. Um, Both of those things are possible and likely. So I say like LinkedIn is still so much more valuable than most people in B2B realize. And that the the opportunity cost of not having consistency in there on a personal level, company, your brand page doing stuff. Yeah, that's great. But like key individuals at the company, who have the ability to just share insights and build trust with the with the target audience by just by just telling them uh, basically you know how to how to insights that will help them do their job better um, huge huge value but just recognize it gets gamed really quickly and you already see early signs of like fake engagement or like fake AI generated comments that are just really low quality and the more of that stuff comes in there the more people will tune out it's this constant race so like I would never say. Bet the farm on LinkedIn in two years, maybe it's useless. But right now, I've been shocked. Given how much people talk about it, it's still undervalued as a way to create demand yeah. and build trust. It It's also, and I think we did a, a whole episode on this, um, but it's like, it's great to just organize your own thoughts as well as you're creating content. That's good content that you can repurpose elsewhere. Or of course, you can put it into the campaigns that you're running and it can be, you know, a deposit that is part of this larger blog post. You do a snippet of it, give your opinion, and you're giving this flow content out in the medium that the people enjoy reading it in. And it does have an effect. Like I've been on uh on calls helping people out with their their nearbound strategy and and using reveal. And I even had someone say Hey, it's Will Taylor. Like they, they knew who I was. And so when I right. come in, it's, it's this immediate trust and we're all laughing at the start of the call because they made some, some funny comments. And so, um, I mean, even from like a sales perspective, you can then bring those people in, uh, just as if they are a partner, they're the subject matter expert, and then it makes the process even more warm. And so it's, it's amazing how that look like people feel like they know you. They feel like they, you know, can trust you. They know kind of what your angle is or your stick or what you're all about. And those small things can just give you such a jump start at like getting to value faster. Um, I just, if you're not doing anything on there, you, you don't see what you're missing out on. But if you are on there, you see all the time, whether it's DMs and things that come in directly or people that said they heard about you on LinkedIn or just that people you already have relationship with where the relationship is stronger. Because even though you haven't talked to them in a month, they feel like they've been keeping up with you for the past month, you know? Exactly. 
Um, okay. So those were our top three takeaways from 2023. Your number one was uh, nearby marketing works. Uh, my number one was partner people. You still got to be the ones initiating and running these nearbound plays, even if the other departments are all the way bought in. Uh, your number two was, let me see if I can remember. Uh, oh, people are still investing in partnerships. Uh, and mine was kind of a sub point in that, that like, even if they're not investing in partnerships generally, they will absolutely invest in things that work. And so if you can prove that your nearbound stuff works. And then your number three was, we got to get the RevOps component rolling. There's a, there's a data layer to the nearbound plays that um, is a really key part. And mine was LinkedIn and sort of nearbound social still undervalued, but could pretty quickly get too noisy uh, if, if uh, things go, keep, keep going with AI and all this stuff. What did I miss, Will? I mean, you just run, mentioned AI. I guess we didn't really talk about AI, but um, that's... It's obligatory that you mention AI in yeah. every, every piece of content these days. Yeah. So it's good that we did a fresh yeah. take. We'll just, we'll, we'll just say AI and then make sure that shows up in the show description so that, um, you know, so that we don't anger the AI bots that are crawling the web and thinking that right. we're failing to, to talk about That'll that. help our SEO inbound strategy. That yeah. Yeah. 100%. Really um, on. <laughs> hey, so I'm super excited about 2024 as well. Um, just for everybody who's been followers, listeners of the Howdy Partners podcast, the Nearbound podcast. Really excited. We got some fun stuff coming in 2024. Jared and I are going to be um, recording in a physical studio together. Um, we've got that lined up, which will be really fun. And we'll kind of alternate. We'll continue to do episodes with guests, but we'll occasionally do episodes where the two of us are more kind of going down some current events or even like uh, mail and questions from listeners. Um, we have Nearbound the book. I, I don't want to give a date yet because this project just keeps getting bigger, but it's incredible. I would say it's about 75% done. Um, probably sometime in quarter one, I'm hoping. Uh, that will be really, really awesome. We got some cool partnerships we're working on, of course, as always. Uh, and then nearbound.com is going to continue to evolve and grow. We have more and more kind of content coming, some new updates and ways that we're going to arrange it, um, some new ways to sort and search that stuff. Will, what other fun stuff can we tease? Fun people stuff. hyped about 2024. Fun stuff that we can tease. More tactics. Uh, I'm eager to share even more than I already am. And uh, I'll be able to share more because I'm doing even more of the so, work. So. so share even more than you already are. Does that mean like oversharing? Like you're going to start posting really personal stuff? You know, I cried last night while I was watching a Hallmark movie, that kind of stuff. I already do that, but uh, <laughs> no, I will be, um, I'm just thinking of like templates and models because I mean, I have shared that stuff, but like we just talked about today, I should uh, do better at formalizing it and making it more of a stock piece that people can download and leverage versus, you know, a social post that was probably really good and very valuable, but got lost in the ether yep. and, uh, yeah. So more of that. Yes. Uh, and Will, you've heard me say this to the team. I, I really feel like um, for us, 2023 was all about let's let's make Nearbound a thing in terms of let's let's help the broader go-to-market world see that they need more than outbound and inbound and they need to start working with partners. And let's help get that message that partner people already know. Let's let's mainstream that message and get people talking about 
this concept of nearbound. And I feel like that has definitely happened and that's been awesome. Now we go to phase two, which is we got to prove and validate this thing and get really tactical about it. So like, yep, you agree. Outbound and inbound are hard. A couple of years ago, most, a lot of people wouldn't have agreed with that. Now they agree. Yeah, you generally agree. I think it makes sense to try to go through people that your buyers trust and try to go indirectly and, and you know surround them. That's not too hard to get people to agree that that's a good idea in general. Then it's like, but who's actually doing it, Isaac? Is it working? Who's making it work? Who's doing it at scale? How are they doing it? How can I do it? And those are, we have little dribs and drabs of some anecdotes here and there, and we've got some pieces, but that's really, for me, what the story we're trying to tell in 2024 is like, let's go talk to the people who are doing it, who are doing Nearbound well, tell those stories, and let's break down exactly how to run these plays, starting with just the simplest stuff, step-by-step. How do you, how do you figure out which partners surround which accounts? How do you figure out how to engage them? How do you take that to your teams and make that work out? And like, how did this person do it? How did that person do it? It's really about, um, really about getting, getting rubbery on the road. So getting rubbery on the road. And right. 2024 is the year of Isaac grown a mustache. <laughs> I, I, I don't, it's not going to happen, Will. It's, it's not going to happen. You know, if I, if I could grow an actual full beard, I would do like a beard and mustache, but because right. I can't grow a full beard, cause I'm only like half a man. Um, <laughs> I just, I can't do it. I okay. I'll grow my mustache, mustache twice as long just for you then. <laughs> yes. You will make up, you'll pick up the slack. Everybody. Thanks so much to listen, for listening to the Nearbound podcast slash the Howdy Partners podcast crossover episode. Hey, I never do this, but I've been told by my marketing compadres that I have to start doing this. Subscribe to the podcast and subscribe at nearbound.com for the Nearbound daily. We've got a bunch of other content on there. Um, and, uh, you know, go, go subscribe to the, uh, the Howdy Partners podcast. What do they say? Smash that like button. What are those? The, the, the Zoomer influencers. That's right? what the really cool people say. You nailed it. Okay. I'm glad. Um, I feel like you're undermining me right now, but I will, I'll just leave it there. It's your sarcasm I can never tell. No cap. Yeet. <laughs> That's where we're stopping. Yeah. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>